0: There's a place some of us go each fall. A place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of, Bird up! Bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders. And where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans. Where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bird Camp podcast. We have a guest today, uh, someone who I met online and social media, and unfortunately I did not get to meet in person this last summer when I had to cancel uh, going up north to Cedar Rod and Gun for a shoot but welcome, Bert Barker, to the Bird Camp Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Good to be here. Yep. I'm glad to finally talk to you. And uh, I've been watching your pictures and things because we're in some of the same Facebook groups. And uh, I thought of you right away. You were on my list here of people that I thought had something that would make a good conversation and storytelling. So we'll start right off with, with something that that kind of everybody gets into at some point but what got you into hunting to begin with Bert? Well
1: when I was nine years old uh, my birthday's in September and for my ninth birthday my dad bought me a even single shot 20 gauge and uh, he uh, I always tagged along with him bird hunting before that when I was nine back then uh I went on my first cousin hunt with him, and he started, took, started taking me to cousin hunting. I didn't get any practice in before season for October 10th, and I just had a brand new gun and went out with him and tagged along with him and shot at a few birds, and I can remember, it looked like it was yesterday, uh, my dad and my uncle and my cousin, who was a little older than me, we were out on my cousin's farm, and Uh, My uncle and cousin were driving the cornfield and my dad and I were at the end blocking it and a big old rooster come out and got up and made that wonderful cackling sound as he took off and come up over my head and I pulled the trigger and that bird fell and dropped right in the middle of the gravel road there and Next thing I remember, I was over the gravel road picking up the biggest pheasant that had ever been shot in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Great big rooster. And that kind of got me hooked on bird hunting. And my grants, he always runs spaniels. And he was of English descent. And he always runs spaniels. So that's how I got into, into bird hunting. I, uh, and that's how come I fell in love with spaniels. <laughs> right. Used to grouse and woodcock hunt with my dad and my gramps as well, but I pretty much cut my teeth on cousin hunting early in my life. But I today I really prefer small birds. <laughs> I don't, I like to shoot uh, quail. I love dove hunting. Dove hunting is one of my favorite hunts. I love dove shoots, and uh, I I like to shoot woodcock real well, and. Uh, I guess i I like to shoot birds that you get a lot to shoot <laughs> I am duck hunting. I like the small birds too. I love the buffalohead you know. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how I got into it. I hunted with my dad and my granddad and my granddad's dogs and mm-hmm. started started really early in life today. I don't guess they start that early, but <laughs> that's how early I
0: started right. My boys have really started. <laughs> about nine or ten but really at about 12 now they've been able they've been treated a little more like adults and uh that there is something about that getting the kids out so you had at one point then you had three generations out in the out in those pheasant fields then
1: yeah yeah we uh we used to hunt on uncle Buck's farm and my grandfather and um myself and my dad we'd go to my my Uncle Bucks, we all, I always got school off for back then, the 10th of October when pheasant season opened, and peasants were in their heyday back there. And, you know, mm-hmm. in them days, there was a lot of pheasants in Michigan. And, and then my grandfather would take me up north, and um, he, we'd uh, <laughs> do, do our hand at a grouse and woodcock. But that was a long time before I shot a grouse. Or a grouse. <laughs> but I <shot> a- <laughs> a big snowshoe one time when I was nine or ten. That was that was a joy. So.
0: But that's how I got started in it. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it ever since, and now I do it with my kids. Yep. Now, I've seen some of the pictures, too, where your your son still shoots the a proper English gun or an English, at least a proper side-by-side, and he has the coat. Did he pick that up from you, and then did you kind of pick that up from your grandfather? Was he one of those proper Englishmen? Yes,
1: that's how, that's pretty much how, how it went down. Uh, <clears throat> my grandfather, he always always, shot in a sports coat and a tie. You know, he had a he always had a tweed sport coat and a tie. And if the weather was bad, he had a long wool coat that went down to his knees. You know, and tie. Uh, my dad, he pretty much always had brown duck canvas pants and jacket you know but my granddad he always had tweed or wool you know
0: yeah i've picked up some of those traditions i think just because they're neat as well as i think it adds significance in in today's modern age uh that we can go back and pick up a, a cap and a tie when we hunt uh just to i and i stay just it lends significance i think to the day and gives us a little more uh the right mentality towards our birds and towards what we're going to experience, but uh my,
1: my grandfather always said it shows respect for the game mm-hmm. yep. he, he always wore a tie, he says that's respect for the game, and that's that's kind of where I picked it up, and when I was younger, I didn't so much, but as I grew older, I kind of fell more into the traditional role, you know,
0: yep, yeah, no this may reach back into your memory when you met your wife was she a shooter at the time
1: no she wasn't she uh
0: she didn't didn't shoot i
1: did hunt with her pheasant hunt with her dad a few times before we got married but my wife played the ladies role and didn't shoot and i got her into into shooting and she uh when or we had kids or anything, she shot skeet with me quite a bit back then. Skeet was the big game; it was kind of four sporting place in this country. And mm-hmm. she uh, shot a lot of skeet with me, and she was a pretty good shot. And I, I can tell you a little story about. We went to Indiana dove hunting, and if you've ever been to Indiana, uh, back then they didn't have a lottery ahead of time. You just stood at Indiana Fishing Game, and they uh, drew your name out in the morning and you picked your field. Now, Indiana does a wonderful job of managing dove fields and their home property. They uh, have standing sunflowers for doves and standing corn where they have their work for pheasants and bean fields, and uh, their small fields and woodlots, and uh, you go so for the Dove hunt, they have the uh, sunflowers all ready right at opening the dove season, and they mow a strip of them, and then you step got the tall sunflowers. And the first dove hunt I took my wife on were sitting on the sunflowers, and you're about 40 feet apart on your stakes, and doves are flying just at a fantastic rate. You walk into the field and 150 get up, you know, and Ooh. There, the doves are coming by, and everybody's shooting along the line, and they have a lot of different fields, and there's anywhere from 10 to 40 stakes in a field, depending on how long the field is, and they're shooting to the left of me, and my wife's to the left of me, and one guy's going, I got him, Ron, I got him, Ron, I got him, Ron, and my wife was a pretty fair shot back then, and... This went on for about a half hour, 45 minutes, and pretty soon the guy goes, I got him, around, and this little lady's voice goes, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, me and a young fellow that worked for me at the time had been, was down there with my wife, and the young guy, he just started laughing. He says, you tell them, Deb. <laughs> uh, we had a good time. We didn't shoot a limited dose that day, but we shot 10 or 12 a piece, you know, and had a dog, made some nice retreats, and we had a wonderful, wonderful weekend camping down there. So <laughs> well, if you ever get the opportunity yeah. to go, you ought to go down there. It's well well worth the day.
0: How long ago and, was that?
1: Oh, that was in the 70s, late 70s, uh, like 78, 79, something like that. That was near nope. nearest I can figure, you know, might have been a little before that. It wasn't anything we got because it was before we had kids.
0: So. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because I would, I would like to do that. That's one of the things I would like it. I've I, I want to prioritize quail higher than than the doves, but there's well, there's too many people that have said what nice gunning it is and what good eating it is, uh, for me obviously. to ignore trying it. Like I said, my
1: dad was always a pheasant hunter and. I says, come on look down here and dove hunt with me. And at that time, he was about oh, he was in his sixties, he's retired. And he says, I can't, I, I, I can't go down there and shoot them doves. They get up from the feeder, and they're no kind of target at all. I said, you never hunted doves. Uh, excuse me. And I said, you never hunted doves. You come on down. So we took the camper and. My son was about four years old, five years old, and my wife, and we went down there and camped, and we got out the first morning, and you can't start shooting till noon on the state property down there the first couple days because they try and keep the doves coming in the field, you know? Yep. And we're walking out to where our pegs are, and my dad says, I said, Dad, why don't you grab about four boxes of shells? Back then, you could take as many shells as you want. He says, if I can't kill 15 doves with two boxes of shells, I'll just quit. I said, man, it ain't like a dove in the feeder in the backyard or something. We get in the field and the doves are flying like crazy and we're shooting them. We had maybe six, eight doves down a piece. And all of a sudden my dad says, son, son. I says, what? He says. Run back to the car and get me two more boxes of shells. <laughs> <laughs> As they're coming down the field, weaving and bobbing and popping, and when you move, then they they zip or dive. Seems like when you pull up the shoot, a lot of times, they just dive, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, a, just a wild time. And then from that, when my son got older, my son and I started going down there dove hunting for the first, first day or two, you know, and, Now it's on a draw. You have to apply in June, and you get your get. If you get drawn, you can take one person with you. And so, if my son gets drawn, he takes me. If I get drawn, I take him. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of successful draws. And start hunting at noon, and uh, you you register, you get drawn ahead of time. But you go in that morning to the DNR office, and they call your number, and then you pick your field and you, you're, then when you get to the field, you pick your stake, you set up, they got steel posts every 40 yards down the field along the edge of the mold part, mm-hmm. and you're setting the your sunflowers, and so we go down the day ahead and scout, make the day, see which picks we like best, if we get a chance, so that's a big ordeal, picking our fields the day before, and then hoping we get drawn high enough up, we get that field, and, uh, him and I always have a wonderful time down there. Usually by uh, three, four o'clock, you're done. You know, you got 30 dose, Two guys got 30 does. That's, that's a good time. But now they limit your shells to 50 shells where you kind of pick your shots, you know?
0: Yep, yep, similar to yep. we have here with our duck draws.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. I've done some of them duck draws down in Saginaw years ago, like that uh, Shiawassee or
0: to the Yep, yep. In the Shiawassee there. We yeah. uh, my wife was drawn for opening day this last year, this last season. And unfortunately, you know, you can take a party of 4 and she's like, "I got drawn for opening day." And then I look at the date on the calendar. I'm like, "And I can't go with you."
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that> so
0: hurt. <laughs> I ended up elsewhere and I, and I it was opening day. I think I was just actually behind the house and I did okay. I think I got two two wood ducks and and I had fun. But it well, was yeah. yep. Yep, it wasn't quite what uh what it could have been. I don't I don't remember what plans I had, but I couldn't couldn't go over there and have fun with her. Yeah.
1: But uh, now, I, do they flood the corn there?
0: They do. Do they plant corn in the flood there? Yep, they have they have yeah. flooded corn zones. They also have went now to some um, small grain zones and some moist soil where the natural weeds grow up. Um, there's some cattail zones. There's some along the river that are a combination of cattail. Depending on the water levels, you get flooded timber in there as well. There's, It's a magnificent variety, um, and it's a little intimidating. The size of the place is magnificent, um, but a lot of the locals that hunt there are are willing to help you, too. They don't they don't want to see what they have, uh, fade because of participation deciding to lack. So there's, there's a guest draw that you can go to if you've not been there and you forget where you're going or you think you're going to get lost. Um, there are ways to, to sign up with a volunteer and essentially they they take you out hunting and they explain how the draw works, how the, the lay of the land is a little bit about how to pick your zones. And, uh, And I've had some great fellowship doing that when we did that first. And then once you know a few of the guys, you figure out who's got which days off. You go back out again and have fun. But (laughs) but a 25-shot shell limit on six ducks is pretty close sometimes. I thought I was a good shot some days. And then I realized I'm down to the last row of shells in that box. And I thought, at this average, I'm coming (laughs) out with four or five. But... uh, yeah, that's like dove shooting. If you, uh, if you're,
1: if you're good, one bird for three. You're, you're doing pretty doggone good, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So you might go out and and run a straight in the skeet field, but then doves are a little bit different.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh... you like to quail hunt too, eh? I would. It's on my list of things I would like to do. I've encountered a handful of quail, mostly mostly preserved birds, and they've been birds where, we, we kind of call them nemesis birds out there because customers have bought 10 birds to put out with their pheasants, and those coveys just in that, that thick pheasant cover, they would disappear. Well, when I was out there then with the next group of clients or out there with a few birds of my own, the the owner there will say, now, somewhere out there, and he can kind of give you a direction, he goes, there's probably between 30 and 40 quail out there now. you know." So if you can get into them, you're going to have some fun. But to warn you, every guide for the last month has been looking for those 30 quail, and you can <laughs> hear them, but good luck finding them and, and getting them pinned down. And sure enough, we could hear them. I mean, we could hear them 70 yards from us, and the life of you, the dog gets in there, gets birdie points, and you walk in and there's nothing and and he you know the owner laughs, he says, "You've never seen thirty birds run so hard as those quail do to get away from you and i've I've put up twos or threes out of what probably should have been twelves, and uh, that was of course i was I was running the dog I didn't get to shoot um but I'm fascinated with those little birds now i I wanna I want to see the wild ones and see what they're really like. Everyone's told me how, how good they are for, for the challenge of the gun. It's... Oh, they're
1: wonderful. And that's one good thing about flushing dog. Flushing dog gets right in and puts some birds up, you know, mm-hmm. if you got good control of your flushing dog, they, are first time I run into quail was oh, in the early eighties. I, uh, just before my kids were born, my wife and I went to Nebraska and we went right after Thanksgiving. We went out there pheasant. Drove twelve hours out there and to make a long story short, we killed a uh, two pheasant, but we got into quail quite a bit. We killed three three quail one day and two quail the next day and a single and uh, I had more fun shooting the quails, than them coveys just burst up and explode, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, then, uh, my wife's originally from Tennessee, so lately here, I, her nephew, her sister's uh, son, he's in his 30s. He takes me down to a place we go in Georgia to quail hunt, and we don't get into big coveys, you know, we threes and fours and... But boy, I like shooting them quail. It's,
0: just, it's when they just explode out of
1: there. It's wild,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. It's a. I've had a few coveys of grouse, or we're broods even, and that only makes it more interesting. I wanna, I wanna do the quail where, yeah, even a three, four, five group would be would be just fun to see, and then try to figure it out, and you know there is that challenge to it. I've already been able to eat some quail. You know, we were able to pluck a few that uh, that somebody gifted me just very graciously, and roasted, roasted quail and roasted teal are like my my last meal. Those are gonna, <laughs> those are so good.
1: That's me. I I love woodcock and I love dove, but quail is right up there with grouse. You know, nice <laughs> white meat. Uh, and i I do love quail, and my wife she's pretty fair game cook too, so we we enjoy enjoy our our game and, yep, and as far as preserve birds, I love chucker. I'd rather eat chucker than pheasant, you know i I just love chucker. it's yeah the of them is so fantastic,
0: yeah, they flavor wise a chucker is a magnificent. Magnificent yeah. table fair bird.
1: It, it's to me it reminds me of turkey. It's kind of got that turkey flavor.
0: Yep. A little and minus the minus the dryness. Turkey and, and dryness right. always seem to to go together for me. But yeah, Chucker Chucker does have a good flavor. And and with your spaniel you don't have to do any of the same tricks I have to do with a pointing dog
1: what tricks are them <laughs> every time
0: every time i encounter a chucker at a preserve it's standing in the four-wheeler path looking at me looking at the dog and i'm yeah. sitting there going i'm not running in front of these guns <laughs> and i'm not letting my dog run in front of these guns but i know that you're the, the chance of that bird flying is about zero if i don't somehow compel it to get into the air and so yeah i've been carrying around especially when i run for clients i have about a five foot african blackthorn stick and it's not real wide or anything it's a walking stick that just kind of helps me with i got a a knee that acts up and so that chucker will be there in the path and everyone will get ready and i'm like all right when i shout you're gonna see this thing go through the air like a boomerang and just be ready and sure enough they don't stay on the ground when you fling a five-foot stick at them as hard as you can. <laughs> but, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, my son and his one dog, uh, his one is spaniel, he kind of points um, woodcock, and my son's kind of reinforced that, you know, <laughs> so he can get in close. So he just really slows down, and I know what you mean. That dog, if he sees a chucker in the path, he just locks up like he's a pointer, you know, where my little dog, <laughs> he'll just be on it like when, you know, she'll, ca- she'll catch him
0: sometimes, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and right as they flush, she'll jump up and do a spin and grab one, you know.
0: <laughs> right, those those are what we call
1: plucking birds. Mm-hmm. She, she's... She she's kind of getting getting into it that if I jump high enough right at the last second I can get them but she she don't get too many <laughs> but every once in a while she never wants to come up with one. Yep. But it's fun to know with your son or your wife and you know yep. I I enjoy. The day out, like when you go to a preserve, just a day out with John. If I miss a shot, he hoots on me, or if he misses a shot, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about, you know. Yep, Dave, there from the side by side society, he, he was cracking up one day. We were out there, and he says. I think you two didn't even like each other because <laughs> we'd beat on each other and then we'd start laughing, you know. Uh, when we, we, we both, he supported my son a pretty quick shot and I used to be a quick shot when I was young and I'd been sick for a while and I wasn't shooting too quick and this year I kind of got back to where I'm shooting quicker and get up and nobody knows who hit the bird, you know, same with one simultaneous shot, you know, <laughs> it's just a good time. Yeah. I like hunting with the, with the young guys. I thought with was a lot of his, his buddies. And I got a lot of old, old buddies I hunt with too, but it's fun to go with the new guys that haven't been to a place or haven't shot a certain kind of bird. And it was like my, Nephew David there, he, he he knew where to go, but he, he hadn't hunted them much, you know, and hadn't hunted behind a dog at all. They just walk down there, they go down to Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know. So we went down and he talked about dress, you know, he wears his uh, typical blue jean bib overalls, you know, he's a good old southern boy, you know. <laughs> it's just a fun hunt to be with. with. People yeah. you know more like, and yeah.
0: Have you run yeah. spaniels then your whole life so far? Have, or yeah, did you I've I, of... I had uh, labs
1: at one time. I, I've always had spaniels, and I was into a place I did a lot of duck hunting in my 40s. That were when my son was just starting to duck hunt, where I decided I had to have a big old lab. I needed a bigger dog to get through the cattails and brush up the Indian River and. And so I got a got a big yellow lab and it was pretty good grouse and woodcock dog, but I've just always had better luck with springers. I like their disposition, I I like their size and I went back to Springers and my son he, he got into springers and he uh, he he does a lot of open water hunting. He's a marine uh, mechanic on Thunder Bay in Alpena and he does a lot of big water duck hunting and I'd never done big water so in turn he taught me how to hunt out of a layout boat and do a lot of he taught me a lot of laying on my back hunting where we hunt out in a layout boat on the big water or we hunt geese in the cornfields over in Alpena laying in a layout blind you know I right. said man I wish I would have learned this easy hunting years ago.
0: <laughs> right, that's that's napping kind of hunting.
1: Yeah, yeah, goose hunting. I I'll be there with my eyes closed until I hear a goose or hear somebody start calling. You know, I'll take a, bit of a nap. <laughs> get up early in early in September get up to early in the morning to get over there and hunt. I just kind of take a nap till I hear the goose sound.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we. We have a commute down here to one of our spots it's a it's about an hour, and then you still have to get set up and brush in the blinds and so I'm up at three thirty or so yeah and yeah. and next thing you know, I'm in there we've got everything ready, okay, it's gonna be first light. you look at your watch, okay, it's shooting light, everyone's ready. And you're like, yeah, I got two more hours before I even think I need shells in my pocket i'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna close these doors and and stay nice and Nice and warm. And uh, there's, yeah, you'll hear them coming. You'll have plenty of time. That, yeah, that's exactly me. I just close the doors. i got a cup of
1: coffee by my side. And pretty soon I'm napping.
0: <laughs> right? A few hand warmers or something. That's all you need in there. And yeah, uh, it's always nice when you kill the first goose, you put that warm goose body next to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
0: But there is, yeah. there's something about a nice warm game bird, whether it's in my, in my vest up against my, my lower back or, or yeah, something right there in the blind or next to me with the dog. You know, yep. you talked about that nap
1: and my uh, nephew come up from Tennessee, uh, duck this year. we got up early, early in the morning, it was opening day, duck know. Because the spot we wanted to go to, we went, it, it's a pretty long commute, and we wanted to make sure we got in there first. And We got in the spot, and pretty soon my nephew, he's just a snooze, you know. And this old ducks coming in and coming in. I says, David, David. I says, here comes one, man. And he come in and set his wings coming right straight at us, you know. My female Woody. And I says, you got the first shot, buddy. And he was sitting between me and my son in the boat and he pulled up and he shot his first wood duck and he I was so. tickled to death. You know, I, I I love to see that. That's you know. Yep. That's real joy and, and you know, he was so tickled and it was a good time. <laughs> but that's kinda of,
0: that's kinda of how
1: how I like to do it, you know.
0: Yep. Yep, there's there is something about that first experience and being able to watch somebody else do it. It's a, it's almost the same as when you go to a gun store with somebody and you watch them buy their first gun and you kind of get that feeling again, like, man, I wish I still felt like this. But yeah, uh, yeah, pheasants, goose, ducks, any of those things that, that it's on somebody's list or better yet, that new hunter where, where they get to watch. I love it, especially too that part where they're watching your dog and your dog doesn't make you look like a damn fool. And then all of a sudden everything works out once, and they pull the trigger, and that bird folds, and they they look at you like, "I did that, right?" That's that's the, that's the best feeling. It is. The dog runs out and brings the bird back,
1: and you just yep. hand the bird to the <laughs> kid, and they get the biggest smile on their face. You know, it's just that's wonderful. You know, like yep. you say, watching the dogs a big part of the hunt. That's a, that's one reason I. I, I enjoy, I really enjoy woodcock hunting in thick woods and stuff, but there's something about being in an open field where you can see your dog work, you know, and see that dog turn on every peep of the whistle and just where you can really watch what's going on and read the dog, you know. So many times the dog's 20 feet from you in the early woodcock cover and you, you still can't
0: see what the dog's doing, you know, like you get a surprise, you know. All you know is that there's bushes moving over there. What's that? All you know at that point is that there's bushes and stuff moving over there. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. yep, yep. Yep. So and you get that get that surprise, but that's that's
1: a good part over. Yep. Yeah.
0: So uh, so running flushers, have you noticed I don't know, have you how much hunting have you done over a pointer?
1: I've done very little i uh have some friends that have a pointer, and back years ago, I had a buddy that had a German short hair and uh I hunted with him some and then he ended up switching over to a Spaniel. <laughs> but uh i I've hunted over 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 a pointer some but not not a lot, but I hunt with a lot of guys that do have uh, some real good setters and stuff. You know, I got some friends that got real good setters and stuff, but uh, probably 10, 10% of the birds I've ever shot, I've shot, you know, if that, oh, in front of a pointer. But, uh, you know, sometimes they take their dog, sometimes we will take my dog. Right. Um, but mostly I've always shot over a dogs, and Like I say, that comes back from when I was a kid, you know, even. Oh, yeah. We even, my, my grandpa's always had spaniels, but my Uncle Buck had beagles. And believe it or not, we shot a lot of fussing over beagles. <laughs>
0: I, I believe every bit of that already. I've done that. Yeah, we shot a lot
1: of lot of pheasants over my Uncle Buck's beagle.
0: We, uh, we did some grouse and woodcock hunting. It wasn't on purpose, but my dad's a beagle man and before i ended up with with pointing dogs the only dogs in anybody had in the family were were beagles and it was and it was dad's dogs my brother had one he had one and uh it made my brother so mad that you'd shoot a bird over that beagle and ruin that beagle and, and at the same time then he would have his dog over by him or the dogs would be together and all of a sudden I'm I'm guarding this area where I can see and you know in case they bump some birds I'll shoot birds but we're we're rabbit hunting we're in rabbit cover and all of a sudden he's in there yelling and hollering and I can't quite hear what he's saying and all of a sudden I start hearing bam 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 and I'm like nothing flushed but that's not like you don't usually use that much ammo on a snowshoe that comes right back sits in front of you lets you blow him right in the head you know what in the world is he doing down there in them pines he comes out with three grouse didn't you say you're not supposed to shoot birds over your dog because it's going to ruin that dog they were everywhere and i couldn't help it (laughs) oh yeah i'm like yeah i i know i i wasn't gonna hold fire either (laughs) Now, do you still have
1: snowshoes around your area, or are they pretty much not existing anymore?
0: I'm a uh, I'm down here by Grand Rapids, so we have cottontails, and in fact, my uh-huh. yard is probably have you know, three or four cottontails in it right now. Uh, uh-huh. Just we we've provided plenty of habitat for wildlife, but uh, by Bird Camp, we're we're in snowshoe country, and uh, this last year we stumbled over more snowshoes than I. Than I've remembered in the last maybe seven or eight years, um, That's wonderful. Yeah, it was. Whether it's in the 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 clear cuts or elsewhere, right? We've we went through great lengths to keep our dogs to the point where they ignore rabbits. Especially, right. I mean, if if one of our our German dogs runs off, German I mean GSPs, if they run off on a snowshoe a big male snowshoe is going to take a mile long loop. And here you're like, how do I get my dog back? Well, Tritronics will tell you how to get your dog back, and that's break their concentration and get them to listen to your whistle. And, uh, you know, so now most of our dogs, my dogs, my hunting partner's dogs, whether it's whitetails or rabbits, they they see that thing scoot out. They look at it. They look back at you. They're like, nope, not going there. All right, hunt them up. But the reason
1: I asked about the rabbits was because years ago, we were overrun with big snowshoes up here. I live up by Atlanta. Yeah. And just overrun with, it was nothing on a Sunday afternoon for my wife and I. And a friend of mine had a little beagle. And it was nothing to go out and shoot five snowshoes apiece. And we always used twenty-two rifles back then, you know. (laughs) 22 automatic with a quick point, and just ba 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 you know. My wife had a bull action every bow, bow, you know. But uh, they got worms bad up here. One year we started skinning them, and they had worms, and they became non-existent up here almost. We don't have, and they between the kites and the worms, we just lost our. Snowshoe population up here. Now we have some cottontails up here, but my dog won't pay no attention to cottontails either. Yeah. Doesn't pay yeah. no attention to deer. Yeah. We got deer that eat out of your hand in the backyard. <laughs> my dog will stand six feet from them and look at them and turn around and walk away and go pee and come back <laughs> in the house.
0: You know? Yep, yep. There's, there's something about snowshoes and especially too like, our camp was full of. This is still full of guys that just have bird dogs and uh a few years my dad was up there and we'd run all our dogs down and it's like okay guys we're we're going to take an afternoon where all the bird dogs are just going to they're going to get an extra scoop of food and everybody's in their crate resting um we we'd pushed them a little hard and dad says well there's a rabbit out there that we need killed and he get it, he'd get it in his head it's a vendetta at that point like they'd they'd have ran it twice and it it got away and it's a you know these big snowshoes just take miles worth of territory and uh about the second time they run it there's a pattern to those runs and this is okay it's going to start here it's going to go to here it's going to go to here and then it's going to cut short and and they could they could map this rabbits kind of road system and he's like but we're going to need enough guns cuz the two of us that have been hunting we just can't cover all the places they go And so next thing you know, there's five or six of us out there loaded up with sixes. And, uh, okay, we're going to get to here. And when we do this, and it it became very methodical, but the experience that some of these guys had where they'd never hunted with a hound before. And all of a sudden, sure enough, those dogs strike and off they go and they're they're hot on trail. And that, you know, you can hear them for over half a mile. Yeah. And then... And then all of a sudden that rabbit goes by and they either miss or they don't have that shot. And all of a sudden you're calling out, it just went by, it's heading your way. You know, and so the next guy's trying to be ready but not make too much movement so that he doesn't spook the rabbit off somewhere else. And in the end, everyone that's been used to bird hunts, man, what a cool time we had. You know, we I think we did even get those that rabbit. But now yes. this last year they were... We don't shoot them over the bird dogs, but they were everywhere. And it it's nice to see them back. There was a few years where the winters were really mild. They didn't have a lot of snow to hide with. And all of a sudden, there weren't very many. It didn't take very long either.
1: Yeah, we were weird. We went from, there was rabbit runs just beat down deep, you know, where you'd see them go by, you just see their ears in the winter, you know. Mm-hmm. And we went from that to you never seen it you never seen a track, you know. And it, mm-hmm. it, it was the worms, I think, pretty much got them around here. Mm-hmm. And then we had a pretty good coyote population for a while, too, you know. They just got non existent up here. Uh, it, it, like I say, I hear them dogs run around. If the dog went by here, don't go chase after the dog. Just stay here and wait for that rabbit to come back
0: around. He'll <laughs> yep. come back around. It'll be a while, but he'll come back around. You <laughs> know. Especially those snowshoes. I mean, not only will they come back around, they'll come back within three feet. And, uh, you know, especially if they catch you unawares at first. Okay, I hear where the dogs are. The rabbit should be, the hare should be out there yet. And all of a sudden you look down and about nine feet off your boot tops, there's this rabbit looking at you. Like, (laughs) oh, I've been had. (laughs) Yeah, they uh. They like to travel that same route. We hunted
1: them in a the plot of deep snow back in the day on you know, snowshoes. Mm-hmm. We'd uh, we'd get get where they were run, made, went through, you know, and just stay there. Pretty soon they'd come right back down that same run, you know. Yep.
0: Yep. Sometimes all you
1: see their ears because they had them runs run down so deep in the deep deep, deep snow. One time I turned to shoot a rabbit and I was on snowshoes and there was about waist deep snow and I'm a pretty tall fellow and I, as I turned, I, my right snowshoe went in a tree well and if you don't know what a tree well is, it's where the snow's piled up but the tree kept it from getting dense there and, and it's just fluffy under this little pine tree, you know, a little three foot pine tree under the snow. And my right foot went down in that, and my snowshoes straight up, and my left foot's up on the other side. <laughs> yeah, i was I was fifteen minutes trying to get up right in that deep snow with some snowshoes on it. <laughs> Rabbit went right by me. I turned my right foot went down in that snow, and I was on my back with one foot in the air and the other foot kitty corner up on the side of the snow still, another one right straight up and down. Oh geez, I worried
0: yep i <laughs> we had we had guys... that's, that's not
1: bird hunting that's that's rabbit hunting we got got off the subject here <laughs> well
0: and i and i freely admit that rabbit trails are something that i usually try i take anyway just a conversation goes in that direction and so you know you see that trail in the snow and off you go with it but uh <laughs> back back then on the topic. What have you been shooting lately for a gun? Oh, well, I have been shooting, uh, for the
1: past five years, I've been shooting a Dickinson Plantation, 12-gauge uh, mostly, uh, and that's uh, a Turkish gun. I also have a cheap Turkish uh, Yieldies, 20-gauge, but I really like it, but Uh, Just recently, I uh, acquired a, it's basically an RBL, but it's made-by-Connecticut shotgun manufacturer, and it's a Fox, uh, A-grade Fox that they make for uh, for Savage now, Mm -hmm. 12-gauge. And I really like it because it's got 26-inch barrels, and I like short barrels. Back in the day, I used to shoot a William Powell, and I also shot, I had three Winchester Model 23s, and they all had 25 and a half or 26-inch barrels, you know. And I cut my teeth on short-barrel guns, and I always like shorter barrel. I can't shoot a 32-inch gun, <laughs> save my soul, you know. My style of shooting, I don't ride a bird, man. When the gun hits my shoulder, I pull the trigger pretty much. And yep. uh, them big, long-barrel guns are just too slow for my style of shooting. They're fine. For a lot of guys and tracking a bird, but even a duck or a goose, if I see it coming a mile away, I got to tell myself, wait, 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 because I want to, when I shoulder the gun, I I need to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. That's just my style of shooting, but not that I shoot that well anymore, but I did back in the day. (laughs) Everything was better back in the day when you get my age.
0: (laughs) right, right. The Woodcock limit was higher. There were birds everywhere. They sat well for dogs. The, everything was in range, right?
1: Yeah, and, and the Woodcock, back in the day, it seemed to me in my memory that Woodcock always got straight up to the top of the aspen, paused, and then took off, you know. And it was nothing to sh- sh- go out and shoot five Woodcock when the limit was five, you know. And uh, <laughs> they just... Now they'll take off like a grouse on a low plane, but it just seemed like back in the day they always get up to the top of the aspen and kind of pause before they started going right or left or straight away. And you know? all there's always that, man, you could just smack them right at that spot, but yep. they've learned or we've genetically modified them. I
0: think. <laughs> they've also learned to start running too. They, yes. You may not notice it as much with the spaniels, but with the pointing dogs, those birds were never where they started and uh yeah maybe we do maybe we do do a little bit that way they've also been told that those birds that get all the way up to the very top and then then pick their spot and turn and go are usually the females and that the males are the ones that get six feet up five feet up and then decide maybe they don't actually really stop and decide they kind of just wing it in some direction low and uh i don't know if that's totally accurate all the time, but uh, there seems to be two different flight patterns for sure. And, uh, yeah. and in late September, I can still miss them all because of the leaves. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he
1: talked about that My son, He, uh, he, he, one year he says, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this leave situation. I'm loading me up some shells and he's got a Browning synergy that, uh, three and a half that he uses for duck hunting so he started loading up seven and a half shot an ounce and five eighths he says the first ounce is to clear the brush and the second five eighths is to kill the bird <laughs> <laughs> and you just shoot just as they're disappearing in the brush you shoot the brush you know, shoot into the brush and he says i'm going to clear the brush he killed a few birds but then that didn't last long. That was a little too heavy a load to be shooting much. <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. My dad handed me some. He's a he's a twelve gauge guy still and he shoots a cylinder board pump gun. And he says, Okay, we're we're woodcock hunting, yeah. This is this is gonna be more of a woodcock cover. Okay, i have to I gotta change out shells. Well he changes out like his vest has two boxes of shells in it. So next thing you know, you just hear these shells leaving his pouch and these other ones coming in. And he's got an old Lee Lodall where the bushing's a little bit worn. And instead of dropping an ounce and an eighth, it's closer to an ounce and three-sixteenths or so, maybe a little more. And so cylinder bore, ounce and three-sixteenths and number nines. It's like, it's a four-foot wall, but it's a solid wall. <laughs> yep. That's what my son always
1: says. He says, I'm getting the most out of that shotgun pattern, no matter how far it goes, I need to go, keep it filled up, you know. <laughs> yep. And I always, always shot woodcocks with nine back in the day, you know. I always shot nines. And I've graduated for some reason to eights. So I guess nines are just harder to come by now or something. But mm-hmm. and but you talk about them old load odals. I loaded a lot of shells back in the day on them load odals. I had a 20 and a 12-gauge both in it. A Mech Jr. and a 28, but... They're cheap and they're kind of rattly and stuff, but they'll load shells.
0: <laughs> right. As long as that crimp holds it all in,
1: that's... Yep. They'll hold shells, that's for sure. i yep. loaded a lot of shells before. them, little Back in the day, I think they were 29 bucks or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, talking about reloading. When I was young, I, I worked ranch on the ranch then, too, and the... the I got real hard up for wads and I had to go all the way to Traverse City, 150 miles, you know, to get wads at that time. No stores around here had any or nothing. I went out on the ski range, picked up used wads, <laughs> threw them in a, in a wash machine, washed them, reloaded used wads. You talk about a scavenger <laughs> shooting used wads. <laughs> and it wasn't classical I just couldn't get the wads, so I just went out and I'd sort through them. all. Oh, here's a Remington wad. Here's a Remington
0: wad. <laughs> yep. oh I've, I've used used shot for a long time, but not used wads. But yeah. uh, I mean, we've picked up actually, we've picked up muzzleloader sabots before. You know, those were, you know, back, back when I was a teen, well, maybe early 20s, those were kind of pricey. And here they are Uh-oh. laying all over the gun range when guys sighted in. Oh, that's a, that's a 50 caliber down to 45. Yeah, I could use that. You just, <laughs> <laughs> I, at a certain point, I guess you only have to be so accurate to be effective. And, uh, and that muzzleloader still did the job, but. Uh, that's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's it's kind of funny how, how everybody, you know, so precise about everything today, you know, Mm-hmm. Back, back then, you know, use what worked. You know, Right. <laughs> didn't matter what haul I picked up, if it was paper or plastic, I'd find a way to load it. I might have to put a twenty gauge shot card inside the wad, you know, <laughs> inside the twelve gauge plastic wad. But now, oh, I only shoot STSs or I only shoot double A gray hulls. You know,
0: right, right. Back See. then, you did whatever you could. That's the same thing goes back to, two. The, the how many times have you seen the the questions on social media? What shot size should I use for a grouse? Well, yeah. you know, I mean, ballistically, the 7.5 is superior to the 8. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure you've explained that to enough partridge yet. You know, <laughs> it, what 20-gauge hull is the best? You know, what 20-gauge loading is the best? I'm like, just jam a yellow shell in that gun and go hunting. Uh, yeah, that's you, right. You know? You're, we're all shooting the same 20, 25, 30 yards tops for most of the season. Yeah. You know what? If you can afford a box of double A's, I'm not going to tell you that game loads are any better. Trap loads work awesome. you know. But mm-hmm. I'm the next thing you know, I grab something out of my pouch, and it's a three-quarter ounce reclaimed shot. It's usually dirty, graphite all over the hull with an old cheap Fiocchi primer or something. Like, well, this will kill whatever that dog points as long as it's in 30 yards, okay? And they go, and you know, they
1: uh, kill birds, yeah. yeah, Yeah.
0: If you could could focus on practicing more than which ammo, you know,
1: yeah, it's like changing chokes. A lot of guys I've been on the get these young guys out on the spring clay field shooting with them. Well, I'm gonna change my choke, I'm gonna change my choke. And they get thinking so much about what choke, they're not thinking about shooting, you know. Yeah. You can shoot out to 40 yards with, with skeet or improved cylinder any day of the week, you know. Used to do and that
0: they a lot. the station, they're screwing the chokes in and out. They're going to really barrel out changing the chokes. <laughs> yep, yep. And then they get in their own head, they miss, and they say, how much did I miss by? You can always look right back at him and say, you missed by six inches. Yeah. Well, how do you know? That's the distance between your ears. (laughs) I love that. That's a good one. The only thing you missed was all that academia you just put yourself through, made sure that you weren't looking at the bird with two eyes, swing through it hard, and hammer that trigger. Yep.
1: (laughs) That's that's, that's like my dad used to always say. He says,
0: butt, belly, beak, bam. Yep. (laughs) Yep, you got you got a guy there on a on a on a mixed squad of guys. So you have a guy with a twenty eight gauge over there shooting three quarter ounce and he's hitting birds forty, forty five yards. And the guy over there with the twelve gauge is wondering which choke he should use with an ounce yeah. and eighth in it. You're like yeah. I think you've outnumbered this target well enough. I think if you get in front of it, you should you should find some success out there in front of the bird. Yep, yeah, uh, the holes are filled in. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> right? They uh
1: yeah. and that's funny. Cause my wife was shooting a 410 for a while, and she she killed as many birds with 410, or broke as many sporting clays with 410 as she does her 20 gauge. You know, mm-hmm. and the only reason we went, she went to the 20, shooting the 20 all the time, is because you can buy the shells. Well, before this shell pandemic deal, you could buy the shells cheap. You know, and yep. 410s were pricey as hell. And you can reload them for cheaper, but if you got to buy them, they're 15 bucks or something. I'd load it up in, uh 28-gauge loads in her 410, and we'd go out on the spring clay course, and she'd keep right up with the big boys, you know. And you talk about that. Them boys, I shoot with quite a group of guys. So they like shooting with her and stuff. And a while back, she kicked my ass bad. I'll say I was having a bad day and she was having a good day, but she, I haven't heard that yet. Now. I haven't lived that down yet, but I was so tickled, you know. It made me made me more happy than if I kicked her ass, you know. But <laughs> it made them guys stay, that's for sure. I yep. heard about the Christmas time. <laughs> Your wife been out and kicked her ass yet? Yep. I said, no, not lately. We haven't been out in a couple weeks, so... <laughs> but that's that's the final like I say, well, we do a lot of hooting on each other and stuff. It's it's just a good time. Yep. Some people might not think of it as if they don't know us or something or you know. Or some people can't take it, you know. I never say nothing bad to nobody but my son and my wife, we give it to each other
0: all the time. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a there's something too about clay shooters. Either they don't mind you the banter or they have to have it like golf course quiet when they go to the line, and so my brother and I used to shoot a bit together along with coworkers, and that same thing comes up, right? And and we we know that if we can get under your skin, then you know whatever prop bet we had on this line of skeet just gets even better for me. Is if I can get in your head, talk a little trash online, you know, on round two or something. over on station two. By station six, I might get a bird out of you that I yeah. I need. And uh, next thing you know, a guy look over and you're like, "You guys still like each other, right?" <laughs> oh, Absolutely. I just like it better when he sucks more than me. And <laughs> you, you have to say it just loud enough too. As the guy walks up to the station and drops those shells in his gun, <laughs> and his whole his whole little routine stops. Looks back at you. Like, yeah, thanks. Like, hey, I'm just <laughs> doing my part.
1: That, that's the way a lot of the guys we shoot with are. You know, there's there's some guys come up to where I work at the ski range, and they they're just serious. You know, they can't they can't say nothing. They don't say nothing. They turn away. And actually, that's when I get go to a shoot, and it's like that, and that gets in my head more than just talking and stuff. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. I shoot better if I'm just bullshitting with everybody and talking as I. Close the gun. I gotta sit around my hand, close the gun, and call for the bird to shoot it. You know, and if I get start getting that serious mode, like some of these guys that shoot really good, man, my score just tanks. I just start thinking about everything too much and get way too mechanical instead of instinctively shooting the bird, you know,
0: yep, yep, and uh, and I've seen a picture of you. you're that's the second time now that you've described that shooting method. Is that the same one that they teach down there at Green Acres?
1: Yep, 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 Miss Churchill method. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's a great place to shoot if a guy ever gets the opportunity to go great Green Acres. My wife and I went down there for a Valentine's Day shoot, and I double-gunned down there. I had a pair of Spanish uh, 12-gauge uh, match pair, and I double-gunned, and my wife, she's loading for me and I shoot, and then when we move to the next peg, I'm loading for her. And we practiced a lot before we went on double gun and loading for each other, you know? And she was afraid she wouldn't be able to do it good for me because the birds were coming fairly fast. And as, boy, I'd hand her the gun with my right hand, she slapped the gun right in my left hand, the forehand, perfect. Yep. She did a wonderful job, and she gets on her peg. And she's shooting, and I'm watching the bird, and watching her hit one, watching her miss one. I handle empty gun. <laughs> oh. She goes, "You gave me an empty gun. I was worried about me screwing up. <laughs> I got so busy watching my wife shoot, I forgot to load the gun for her. I was her loader. I didn't load the gun for
0: her." <laughs> oh, so you've gotten to go on one of those dream things for me, and that is, you went down there for one of those simulated driven. Oh, the simulated driven shooting that that Keith puts on
1: we oh, did that, and then we did three hundred twelve people, and there was three hundred thousand okay for the Valentine's Day shoot the year we went, and we stayed in the lodge. They got a nice little cabin mm-hmm. they went there and, yeah, and Keith was really good to us. We got down there the night before he had us for dinner and everything oh wow first first class place. Yeah, I, I had a good time down there. Yeah, we we did the driv- driven uh the simulated birds in the, in the morning, and we did two towers, two different towers in the afternoon. And it was a 300 bird shoot. It was a good time.
0: Yep, I've I've looked at that, and I want to get back down there. That's another one of those financial issues of mine. But yeah, mine uh, too. <laughs> but yeah, what an incredible host! And I'm gonna just shamelessly plug Greenacre Sportsman's Club in Roberts, Illinois. Um, the old gentleman there is an Englishman for sure, and uh, not afraid to tell you about merry old England.
1: But, no, uh, but and his wife you know, fabulous person, nice and oh, great yeah. stuff. It's a wonderful place. I, yeah, I really enjoyed we, it down
0: there. we went down there for a midweek just to just to do the course, the sporting clays, the British clays, and to to just see whatever he had to offer. And uh, I brought a flat of shells down with me, and it was july in illinois so it wasn't it was hot it wasn't that right. nice for me but uh we shot shot sporting clays and it wasn't a competitive course but the variety was such where where he got in my head on a few of those and we were the only people in the entire place the whole day and so he checked in before lunch and you know oh okay everything going well everything's going well but since you're here Why have I missed seven of these targets in a row? And he's like, well, mate, that's because there's no lead. I'm like, it's 40 yards and crossing. Yeah, but it's crossing at three feet a second. I'm like, oh, no. How did I misread this one? Sure enough, I mean, put the the gun barrel to the bird, slap the trigger. I'm like, huh, zero lead. He's like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm seven zeros on my scorecard because of that bird.
1: Because you missed it, and you went farther in front of it. You missed it, you went farther in front of it. You missed
0: it. You went. <laughs> yep. And then I was over it because it was stalling, and every yeah. possible way, but in front of that bird where it needed to be. And uh, oh yeah, he he get a good chuckle. Okay, what? Well, you know, lunch will be in an hour. You know, or whenever we were going to be done. You know, if it's if you're going to be done in half an hour, okay, we'll have lunch ready. We had we had ordered our lunch there from his wife. And uh, what a magnificent meal too! But uh, did you shoot his rabbit skeet? It,
1: it's it's uh, a it's a great place to
0: go. Yep. But like, you know,
1: you talk about shooting in front of birds. If I miss a bird, generally I'm in front of it because when I learned to shoot, when I was like ten years old, our old skeet range here at the ranch had a you had to have a bird setter and set the bird on the machine. And then they'd trip it and you'd set the bird in the machine and where they got a single stack unit. Now they got all big carousel units, but, um, I'd work there and I'd get to shoot around a skeet and a box of shells for working there on Sunday, you know, because I had that old single shot 20 gauge and I wanted to get better with it the next year. I'd do that. And, uh, they give you. used to give you a little card that says station two, six inches in front of it, station four, four feet in front of it. And every time I'd miss, they'd tell me, you're behind it, you're behind it, you're behind it, you know. <laughs> One day I'm shooting, and I go, man, I was 14 feet out of that bird, you know, I can't <laughs> be behind that sucker. And in my eye, when I break a clay target or kill a bird, I'm looking right at the beak of the bird, you know. I'm looking right at the bird. And my instincts take over and calculate the lead, you know. And I think a lot of new shooters, well-intended people say you shoot behind it. And I think a lot of new shooters shoot in front of a lot of birds. I see it out at the skeet range a lot in the summer. We run 700 rounds in a summer probably and, and uh, on our little club here. And, and uh, I see a lot of, you know, new shooters. People tell me you're shooting behind, shooting behind. I tell them, don't think about Lee, just swing through that burden when you're on the beat, pull the trigger and keep the gun swinging. You know? mm-hmm. That's just my style, not that I'm no Bob Allen or anything. but uh, <laughs> I guess nobody heard Bob Allen no more. That was too long ago when he was a famous shooter.
0: <laughs> I remember Bob Allen, and I have an even older one up here of Lee Braun. And uh, uh-huh. not only was it a card, but in every one of his books there was a poster of all the leads laid out on a diagram. And I still have it, it's folded right back up in that book. But uh There's you know, a lot of
1: guys shoot that way and shoot very well. I shoot with an old gentleman, he's about eighty two years old, mm-hmm. and he shoots the main lead and he still shoots in the twenties, you know. Yep. And but boy, I just never could shoot that. When I try to shoot sustained lead, next thing I'm doing, I'm looking at the barrel, you know. Yeah, um, I've been looking at the bird. And yep. I, you're checking the barrel. And that's what I notice. These guys that try to shoot sustained lead, young shooters, they look at the look at the barrel to make sure their lead's right, you know. And that makes them stop the gun, you know. Yeah. Say, Don't, just swing through it and pull the trigger. Shoot the Churchill message, you know. Yep, and, either.
0: Either Churchill or the Stanbury, because I'm a Stanbury disciple.
1: Uh-huh. Same,
0: same thing, though. And you know, in the case of Churchill, you know, get the gun to your shoulder. And I know Keith tried his best to get me to shoot that way, but he wanted me to start in front and stay in front, but my eye on the bird, and I could not get my gun barrel to start in front. And that swing through is probably the nicest new shooter method because of its simplicity. You know, you can avoid a bad habit by teaching something simple.
1: To swing through, yeah. And as far as I am, I cannot start with a mounted gun. I cannot get. I'm chasing the bird or passing the bird. I always shoot low gun. And my swing starts when I'm bringing the gun up and swinging the gun as I bring it to my shoulder. And when it hits my cheek, I want to be pulling the trigger. Yep. Mount to the cheek, and when it hits your cheek, pull the trigger, your shoulder's up against the gun already. Yep. If guys will say, oh, shoot mounted gun, Bert, shoot mounted gun. Man, it's it's like watching a handicapped person. I guess I shouldn't say that today with politically correctness, but, man, man, I can't get the gun to move to start, you know? (laughs) I'm like, oh, and then I go way past it, and then I stop, and I'm like, but just 'cause I've shot from drop guns for so long, you know, but yep. that's, you might as well give me a, a rifle if I'm going to shoot with a mounted gun on my shoulder, you know.
0: Yep. I shoot. When I shot league, the gun was always on my shoulder just because I switched styles to gain a little more consistency and to eliminate my gun mount being a problem for for playing for score where where things were going to count, and uh, I. I essentially had more than one style learned and it helps because you never know, like, you know, there's, there's going to be times out in a pheasant field where you don't consciously think about it, but you may very well switch styles. If, if it's practiced enough um, and then you get into the grouse woods and there are no styles and it's <laughs> it's as fast as you can get that trigger pulled with the gun on your shoulder
1: yeah, you don't worry about your foot position when you're in the grouse woods. That's for sure. You know, shooting feet. You see these guys. Yeah. I think we got one guy. He's always got to have his feet right, his toes right on the edge of the pad. And then if he shoots the low house, he moves one way. Shoots the high house, he moves the other. And that's all going good for super. You know consistency but when you're in the grouse you ain't got time to be moving your feet you know
0: you can see a flash of them <laughs> you're just glad two feet are on the ground usually in the yeah, grouse yeah. You're, and you're standing upright you're not bent over ducking under a limb <laughs> right right and and who knows what happens you know you're trying to duck under a balsam that bird gets up and your next thing you know you're down on two knees trying to shoot between limbs you know? yep. yep yeah they uh I have I have noticed my practice on my gun mount is the only thing in the grouse woods that I think is the carryover, and that is to shoot low gun and then try to pick, you know, once you get low gun kind of to the point where you're consistent, start breaking the birds when you pick where they break. You know, I'm yeah. going to shoot them just after the stake. I'm going to shoot them a quarter of the way across after the stake. You know, if you can start doing that, now – now when your buddy flushes one, and it's not quite in sight yet, but you know he's yelling it's coming your way, and all of a sudden that only spot available becomes something you've practiced. I'm going to get him here. And it, it sometimes works, and it sometimes doesn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not knock. I wasn't knocking when he started shooting. I was just saying, nope. you know, it worked for me, you know. and I, I could never get the gun started when I eyes Nope. Yeah. And, uh, but I do work pretty consistently and I'm done well you know.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I have Mr. Churchill's book here in my study. And between him and Stanbury, the two Englishmen that had their competing styles, they they taught a style because people shot live, flying, evasive birds. and yeah. and that driven partridge in England isn't much different sometimes than a dove. Uh, when it's flying and to learn a style that accommodates you on a bird that's thinking about how to get away and live another day really does make a difference when it comes down to actually putting an extra bird in your bag. Yeah. That's that's the truth between going home with no supper and going home with supper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they, they put a lot of prestige into their styles because those of course, their bags were gargantuan. You know, they were shooting 500 plus birds a day in their their beating lines. But there was something to be said for being able to shoot better than the next earl over one day. And and they took a lot of lot of pride in that skill set. And oh, you bet.
1: Yeah. And that's
0: a finely honed technique when a, when a man practices that mount, that swing the ability i I love the ability to swing both left and right equally well on poor footing, and that's a and both styles teach it that way um yeah. they want you to have good footing it applies really well, especially as a right hander swinging hard right and that's totally against your body um they really did well for that one, but that's definitely another as we call them rabbit trails but
1: uh and i I always had I always had troubles, I'm right-handed, but I always had trouble for a long time swinging to the left, because mm-hmm. my head had swinged but my face had come off the guard, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me a long time to remember, keep the wood on the wood, buddy. <laughs> right. That's another thing my dad would say, wood on the wood. <laughs> yep. So, because like That's where I, you know, I did good shooting right hit because my face was pushing against the gun. So, but boy, I I pulled pulled my head away and the gun would still be back, you know. If (laughs) I shoot and skate, the gun would still be at the low house, but my face would be looking
0: at the center stake. Yep. Yep. So you mentioned earlier, and we're going to jump into a little bit of a new thing here just before we wrap up. You ran your Springers then in trials? How
1: long ago was that? Oh, in the 70s, I think. It was before my son was born, and he was born in 84. I run a little bit when he was first born, 80. Mm -hmm. So it it was, uh, yeah, I ran. uh, Back then, they didn't have hunt tests, you know, and I I just wanted to... um, See how my dogs met. I'll tell you, I started, I went to a spaniel uh, trial and I was blown away by it because I'd uh, seen spaniels hunt but never steadied a shot and flush, And just, I was blown away at the response to the whistle. And I uh, got so excited about it, I joined the spaniel club and uh, We'd go out and train every Sunday, and I'd train with guys that, you know, had national field champions and stuff, and I would uh, learn from them guys. And then all of a sudden I thought, well, maybe I should see how my dog compares, you know. And so I started going to trials, and we traveled a lot of miles, go to Canada to trials, to Ohio, to Indiana, you know. And it, it was an expensive game, but I learned a lot from it. You know, I, I placed some dogs and trials and stuff, but it wasn't so much about the placing dogs and getting ribbons and getting the name on the pedigree as it was about a learning curve for, for me, you know, to learn what to expect out of a dog and then not only what to expect, but how to get to that end when you had trouble or something, you know, when you mm-hmm. run up against a mag. So I highly recommend, and today they have these, I haven't ever attended any, but they sound very wonderful, these hunt tests and stuff, and I think I think that's what I was looking for back in the day before they started with the hunt test, you know, and that's, I wasn't trying to put a bunch of trophies on my man I was trying to Learn how to have a top-notch
0: dog, you know. Yep. There's a there's a good spring hunt test over in Beaverton, so south of you a ways, but not too far actually, just a little bit less. No. Deep. And uh, we'll be there. We'll be there again this year. My son has a spaniel, and uh and he wants to be a spaniel man, so we're investing the the time and and getting him exposure to these guys, and he has his dog here, Miss Bree, and you would absolutely enjoy a hunt test the the crowd there um it's very social it's very friendly um and again you get to see a lot of good dogs run and uh i'll i'll let you know when it's coming or i'll try to figure out when and 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 try to make sure i get you invited you if you yeah, show you up you're considered right invited
1: I'd love to go. You drop me a line when it's yeah. coming. I'd love to go to that and see that. And
0: yeah, I, uh,
1: that you know, we were talking about English dress. That's another reason how I got into wearing tweed and stuff so much. Back in the day when I used to trial, everybody on the Spaniel circuit dressed with a tie and, uh, barber coat, you know, wax coat, and, yeah. uh, or if it was cold, tweed, and, and uh, the Spaniel guys back then, they were pretty much, you know, traditional, traditional English. You know, like, we got English Springer Spaniel. We better be traditional English, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's another reason I, I wear a tie a lot. And if I go to a gun club, I always wear a tie because I just want to show respect for the game like my grandpa taught me, you know.
0: Yep. Yep. And you'll still see those button-down shirts and some ties. Um sometimes they're orange now because of safety regulations and things. But, yeah, uh, I, uh, I was introduced to a proper Scotsman while I was there in the gallery as well. He was running a dog and, uh, and sure enough, the, the proper tie, the proper shirt. Um, and of course, then when he started talking about fishing, I had to sort out in there that as a Scotsman, you fly fish. There's yeah. no, there's no spinning rods in Scotland. And, uh, and just the magnificent number of people it's not a big test, but the the friendliness and uh oh it's lunchtime, well, you're standing right well i, I hadn't and I hadn't anticipated it. Is there a cost? Oh, no, no no you you're good or there's you know there is a cost sometimes depending on what it is, but uh the welcoming that the welcome that they do and and that welcoming nature is it emulates the dogs, right? I've never seen an angry spaniel just yeah, yeah. Right. they're they're one of the happiest breeds i think i've ever seen just uh the enthusiasm they have and i think it shows in their owners but... well that's
1: nice to hear but yeah i, I agree, agree completely but uh, yeah i'd love to love to, love to go down to that And beaverton ain't that far from me back when i run coonhounds i used to go to beaverton to yep. coon dog trials so yeah, I know where Beaverton is.
0: So. excellent. Yeah, it's a and it's a good place, and we'll be there too. So I will. I'll keep you in the loop, and I'll get that date for you. And uh, we'll finish on one more thing. And I try to do this with with some of the guests. It depends where the conversation goes. What stands out in your memory, whether it's a, a particular dog or a particular day or a companion, um, was there some sort of a special highlight? a a part of your hunting um experiences uh probably
1: the highlight of my hunting experiences was uh, last year i went to indiana dove dove shooting with my dad uh that was the last last shoot i went on with my dad Hmm. and i think that's why it stands out we we shot a table full of birds and my son was about four years old, and he helped clean them, and uh, we stayed in the tent camp- old tent camper I had, and it was just, my wife cooked dove for dinner on the open fire that night, and it was just the most memorable weekend, and maybe it was really etched in my mind, because that was the last hunt I had with my dad, mm-hmm. and... Uh, my son, he didn't go in the dove fields with us. He stayed at camp with my wife. And, but when we come home, he was excited and he helped clean the dove. And we sat around the campfire that night and had uh, dove, dove breasts wrapped in bacon. And it was just, it was a wonderful day. My dad had a good time. He had a smile on his face all weekend. And it was, to me that was the highlight of, of my bird hunting. Career. I've had some great moments with my son and stuff, but that's one special moment in, in my memory. I've had some great times. And when you were talking about rabbits, when we were in Nebraska hunting pheasant and quail, we had contails tails running everywhere and we never shot none. <laughs> and that was a great hunt, but that last hunt with my dad, I'll never forget that. Yep.
0: So. Good. I think we're going to wrap it up on that one then. And, uh, All right. It was and... nice talking to you. Yep. Thanks
1: for the invite.
0: Uh, you're very welcome, and uh, I'll get that information to you as well as I want to shoot this coming summer with you um, when you're available. And uh,
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I, I I make as many shoots as I can, especially the side-by-side shoots. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to go down to the Society of American Side-by-Side Shotguns. That's closer to for
0: you than me down there, but yeah, uh, I wanna I wanna crazy. go down there and stir up some trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, uh, I I shoot a German gun, and most of those guys because I call myself an American side by side shooter as opposed yeah. to an American side by side shooter. So <laughs> they're Foxes and Parkers and all that other stuff. And I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna throw down an Axis and Allies challenge, where we're gonna raise some money for a. Habitat organization or for something like that, where I'll put my money where my mouth is i'm I'm a decent shot and if you that, can, that's good, if, that's good to hear. and if that, you can if if any of those guys want to we'll put their names on a list and if I beat' them, they owe they owe the habitat organization five bucks and if i or no i owe, if they tight. if they beat me, I owe it in their honor, and if I beat them, they all need to pony up another five or each and uh I, th- I think we mm-hmm. we might come out of it with a hundred dollars, whether it's my hundred or theirs. But uh, yep,
1: we, you can count me in on that.
0: Yep, I'll wanna... tell you them them boys are good boys. They shoot parkers <laughs>
1: and boxes and twenty ones and stuff. Yep. But they always welcome me when I was shooting a turkey gun. You know, they never never downplay me. They always welcome my son shooting his greener. They uh, yep, they're 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 a good bunch of guys. They and there's no on that website. There's no bad mouthing people. There's no political bullshit. It's just
0: yep. It's people it's trying to help each other. Guts. And
1: yep. And it's camaraderie of uh, mm-hmm. of the society. I highly recommend. I highly recommend looking them up on Facebook. And if you're all interested in side by sides and friendliness and Sportsmanship and gentlemen, I and yep. I highly highly recommend it.
0: And uh, and for those interested, it's the Society of American so- Was is it side by side
1: shotguns Society of American side by side shotguns.
0: Yep, and it's on Facebook and uh, a gentleman named Dave administers the page there uh, quite well. And it, it, it really is a nice spot for guys to go that just love old guns and love shooting and being with each other. Um, well, that, bird hunting, be it duck hunting or yep. roast hunting or something hunting or shooting some birds on a preserve. Yep, yep.
1: So, all like minded people, and <laughs> there's no trash on it. That's what I
0: like about it. There's just yeah. no, trash on it. yep, yep. For all sure. Gentlemen. So, on that note, we're going to end Bart, Bert, and uh, we've been talking here with Bert Barker, and he's a Northern Lower Michigan resident, been shooting quite a long time, and as we've, uh, excuse me, as we've, uh, we've discovered, running spaniels for many years and enjoying that uh, sporting life. Well, thank you again, Bert, for joining me tonight. You're very welcome, and thank you for uh, visiting with me tonight. I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> you have a good evening, and you as well. Good night. Good night. Thank you again, everyone, for joining me and uh and bert here and uh i want to get more guys on like bert uh bert has you know there could be conversation for days uh with some of these older gentlemen that have hunted for uh, he starts talking about the early 70s i wasn't born till the late 70s but uh so much there that's good and uh I love those stories. I love the ability that I have here now to record him and to be able to have, uh, his son be able to hear him later on, you know, and who knows what those memories might be down the road. But, uh, as well, the little bit of admin we have here at the end of the podcast, uh, if you find these conversations to be entertaining or informative and, uh, if you would like to support the podcast head over to patreon where we are under bird camp and uh we don't ask for much we ask for the price of a cup of coffee or the price of a a happy hour special mainly because you know if if you and i were to meet and uh whether i'm buying or you're buying uh, we could have this conversation over over that drink and uh and and leave as as uh, better people hopefully as well but If you are so inclined, that is, mm, wow, excuse me, got a tickle in my throat. But uh, until we meet again, I hope you do enjoy the podcast and these conversations.